Okay, uh, we've, I've given a little more detail in the outlines in this so far in Luke than I normally do. So we've begun by looking at the infancy of John the Baptist and Jesus from verse 5 through the end of chapter 2, verse 1, verse 5 of chapter 1. So we've looked at the birth of John the Baptist being foretold, the 400 years since God had spoken to Israel. We've met Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then last week the stunning event that happened to Zechariah when he was uh, offering sacrifice to God or was uh, in the in the sanctuary and the astonishment of meeting the angel who foretold the birth of of uh, John. And as you know, it was felt they were too old. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth wasn't felt they were too old to have children. Uh, but with God, all things are possible. So God has said to Zechariah, you're going to have a child, a boy. And he told a little bit about him. And so today, we're going to begin with verse 18 because Zechariah has a reaction to what he's been told. And so we're going to find that reaction in chapter 1, verse 18. So this one single solitary verse is our starting place, and then we'll go from there. So here's what it says. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Now, that's not a good thing to say to an angel, just not. I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Okay, so uh, she wouldn't have appreciated that either, but I think it was, obviously, they all knew it. I've, I've entitled this Zechariah's Doubtful Response. Uh, I don't know any other way to word this, uh, and, and far be it for me to be critical of somebody else. If I'd been standing in Zechariah's sandals, I may have reacted exactly the same way. I don't know. I hope not, but I, I might very well have. But I've just put, I wrote the, I wrote two words, woeful disbelief. Woeful disbelief. Zechariah should not have doubted. And, and I believe there are four reasons why he should not have doubted. And the first reason is he knew scripture. We're not talking about a man who's ignorant of of Scripture. He knew Scripture, therefore he knew about the births of Isaac, Samson, Samuel, God's intervention, and the sure and certain fact that God can do it again if he chooses to, and that's what he said he's going to do. He's going to do it again. Now, there's a second reason why Zechariah should not have been doubtful, and that is he's a priest, not an atheist. He's a priest, a man of God, who should have known better. So that's the second reason. The third reason why Zechariah should not have doubted is this is the most important day of his life professionally. Most important day of his life, because you know he only got to do this one time, and this was his day to be in the sanctuary. He should have had a bigger view of God. But his view of God apparently at this moment was small. And the fourth reason Zechariah should not have been doubtful is he knew this this message and this messenger are from God. He knew that the message and the messenger are from God. Yet he disbelieved. This kind of unbelief is subversive to the gospel. 
So having said that about our friend Zechariah, we will reach a point again where we put our arms around him and say, we, we love you anyway, Zechariah. Um, but he did disbelieve. And I think the application there to us is to be very, very careful about disbelieving what God says. Uh, just don't do it. Because it can be subversive to the gospel, especially on our part when we claim to be Christ followers and then we doubt or we disbelieve what God says to us in the scripture. Now, Gabriel has a forceful reply, and that's what we're going to look at in verses 19 and 20. The angel Gabriel uh, does have a response. He is not caught dumbfounded or with his tongue tied, I assure you. So look at verses 19 and 20, and here's what happens. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I think at that point, that alone would probably have been enough to melt just about any of us. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Now, what does he, what does he mean? He means that's where I'm, I'm normally not here. I'm normally in the presence of God. So, uh, little man, you don't impress me at all. I mean, it's what he could have said. You don't impress me at all. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now, I don't know the tone of voice. It may have been very quiet, calm, may have been loud, may have poked his finger. I, I have no idea, but the words alone are strong words. And now, so here's the consequence for his doubtfulness, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Okay, so there is um, there is a consequence to disbelief, and, and Gabriel pronounces that consequence for Zechariah. His words are emphatic. They're very emphatic. I stand in the presence of God. The words are frankly intended to shame Zechariah, and I'm sure that as soon as he said, I'm Gabriel, that probably, he probably realized, oh, I should not have said that. So um, the penalty fits the crime, so to speak. So he's going to be silent for nine months. Now, as a man who was a priest and therefore used his mouth for his life calling, that's a pretty stiff penalty to be silent for not, I mean, it'd be like a preacher who preaches for a living, talks, teaches, preaches for a living, and all of a sudden the doctor says, it's going to be about nine months before you can speak again. That would be awful. So to Zechariah, you're going to be silent until this comes to pass, meaning until the time the baby is born. So let's see Zechariah before the people. He's got to come out of there at some point. So look at verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. 
when this time of service was completed, he returned home. Now, let's think about him before the people. Uh, They were getting worried because they knew about how long this normally takes for the priest to do what he's going to do and to come back out. And and it's way over time. Zechariah should have been out a long time ago. So maybe they're wondering, is he okay? Did something happen? Uh, Does somebody need to go in and get him? Oh, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. So what's going on in there? Well, finally he emerges and he's unable to bless them. See, that's what the priest would do when he would come out. He would bless the people. Having been inside and performed his service to God and for God, He's to come out and bless the people, but he can't because he's mute. Now, this word that indicates he's mute or unable to speak can also mean mute and deaf. And in this case, I believe that's exactly correct because if you go to verse 62 of of chapter 1, uh, the people, when John is born, the baby's born, the people made signs to his father. There's no need to make signs to a man who can hear. So the people are making signs to Zechariah because not only can he not speak, but he can't hear what they're saying. So the word that indicates he won't be able to speak also means you're going to be mute and and deaf. So that doubles the penalty for what Zechariah had done his his doubtfulness. So um, he has about nine months to think about what he's seen and heard. So he's got to go home. And even though he can't speak and even though he can't hear, I do think Zechariah was excited to get home to tell Elizabeth the news in the best way he could tell her. So let's look at verse 23. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I'm impressed. I don't see any doubtfulness in Elizabeth. Um, now, I don't know how, um, what Zechariah signed to her or wrote to her when he got home, but he, I'm sure, conveyed to her what he had been through. I uh, don't know what she said in return. It would have been an interesting conversation to witness. But um, she did get pregnant, just like the angel had said would happen. And she goes into seclusion for five months. And there are good reasons for that too. Um, But she knows how this has happened. And she said, the Lord's done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. We talked about that last week or the week before, I don't remember which. In the society of that day for this Jewish woman to be childless and that was thought to be permanent because she's old for her to be childless was considered a reproach or a a disgrace and so God has taken away that disgrace and has shown favor 
upon her. My reproach is removed. So there is joy now for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And in six months, and most of us, if not all of us, know the rest of the story. So we know that in, in six months, they will host Mary and the Son of God in her womb. And they will hear her sing what we now call the Magnificat. And speechless Zechariah will soon be able to sing his song of faith, the Benedictus. So there's some exciting days ahead for Zechariah and Elizabeth. So let's move to verse 26. And the birth of Jesus is foretold. All right, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth, Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, again, to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Can you see how it's all fallen into place? Familiar with Old Testament prophecy? We're seeing, uh, uh, oh yeah, oh that makes, yes, okay, it's all fallen into place. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. I don't know if that's how he said it. I don't have any idea. But like everyone who encounters an angel, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And that encompasses a large measure of confusion and fear. And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. That's what angels say to people because when people see angels, they're afraid. Do not be afraid. These stories I hear, I'm not trying to cast doubt on your cousin if he has this story, but um, these stories about people seeing angels and their buddy-buddy and warm, fuzzy feelings and palling around, I'm not really sure I buy that because every time scripturally we see people encountering encountering angels, they're scared to death. I mean, that won't buy you a cup of coffee, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, can you imagine being a young virgin and you've just heard those words? And your head is going around and around and around. I mean, that is astonishing, amazing words. And how do you get your heart and arms and mind around that? Well, here's what Mary says. How will this be? Now, her words are very different from Zechariah's words. Very different. So we'll, we'll look at that in a minute. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was uh, said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So this is news Mary didn't know. But now she's been informed about the pregnancy of Elizabeth. For no word from God will ever fail. Um, I've got so much in my Bible underlined 
And I just realized I've never underlined verse 37. So when I get back to my office, I'm taking my yellow highlighter and I'm underlining verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. What a great, woo, what a great passage. Okay, six months after Elizabeth conceived, we're taken in the text from Jerusalem to the area of Gal- around the Galilee to the city of Nazareth. They have moved from the metropolis to the sticks. Nazareth was a poor village at that time and did not have a high opinion in the nation. You'll remember when Philip came to Nathaniel and said, we've met the Savior, Jesus of Nazareth. And what did Nathaniel say? Yeah, can any good thing come out of, out of Nazareth? Right out of his mouth. Instead of inquiring a little more, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. It's, you know, hicks from the sticks. Anybody ever call you that? A hick from the sticks? Well, Nazareth was a poor village. So we go there. We're introduced to a virgin named Mary, and her fiancé's name is Joseph. And Joseph is a descendant of King David. That's significant. An arrangement in those days of engagement could not be broken without a legal granting of a divorce, and the divorce could only be granted if there had been sexual immorality on the part of him or her. Keep that in mind. As God worked a miracle in the life of Elizabeth and Zechariah, so now he is to do in Mary's life. So Gabriel greets Mary. She is chosen by God's grace. Mary does not understand why she is chosen, and she's fearful, quite naturally. So the angel explains his message, do not be afraid, God's grace is on you. You know through Jesus, God's grace is on you too. She will conceive, call the baby boy Jesus, which means the Lord saves, Hebraic name, Yeshua or Joshua. He will save his people from their sin. He's the son of the most high, which means God's own son. This is amazing to Mary and to us. Utterly amazing. The son will fulfill the promise made to what king? David. Hundreds of years earlier, David's son will rule over Israel in an everlasting kingdom. So in verse 34, Mary responds, not like Zechariah with doubt, but with wonder. How? I'm a virgin. How can this be? So Gabriel explains in verses 35 through 37, he explains to Mary two Profound scriptural truths. And here they are. Number one, the incarnation, meaning God becomes man, God in the flesh. He explains to her the incarnation. And secondly, the Trinity. The Spirit shall come upon you. The Christ is therefore fully God. And fully man, the perfect Savior, 
He needed to be God to supply the righteousness that we humans could not achieve. And he needed to be man to supply to God the sacrifice that we owe and cannot pay. So Jesus, therefore, is the only mediator between God and man, the man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. He's the only way for people to come to God. Not many ways, not several ways, but the only way. And we're reminded in verse 37, as our heads swirl, no doubt Mary was like, whoa, how do I, how do I understand this? And the angel says, no word from God will ever fail. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, let's think for a moment about Mary's faith as we see in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. There's, there's her humility. May your word to me be fulfilled. That is saying, I'm committed to what you've just told me. So do in my life what God desires. I am simply a humble servant of the one true living God. That's Mary's humble way of saying, okay. That does not mean that Mary's standing there saying, oh, I've got it all together. I understand all that. I understand all the details. I know exactly what's going to happen. She didn't. She didn't. But she is saying to God through the angel Gabriel, I'm your servant. Do in my life whatever you want to do. And I would submit that's that's where we should be. Now, are we? Sometimes. Are we always? Probably not. But that's where we need to be. God, I belong to you. I'm your servant. You have saved me. So you do in my life whatever it is that you want to do. That's the best place in the world for us to be. So think about Mary's faith. Uh, Contrast her response to the response of Zechariah. Zechariah, uh, I I think it would be fair to say, stumbled in unbelief. But Mary yields in faith. Now, I want you to think about the Old Testament for a minute. She sounds a little bit like Isaiah, who said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. She sounds a little bit like Esther, who said, if I perish, I perish. She sounds a little bit like Ruth, who said to Naomi, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She sounds a little bit like Job, who said, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. It reminds us of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. So this is how faithful people respond to God's plan, even when we don't understand it. How many times in your life have you known what God wanted you to do, clearly revealed to you through the word, but you just couldn't understand? How's this going to happen how will I be able to do this? How I don't know, but what I do know is you've said it, so I believe it, and go ahead and do what you need to do in my life. That's where Mary was, and I would submit that's a good place for all of us to be. 
Now, as we finish up today, I want us to think for a moment about Mary. As we think about Mary, I want us to reflect on several things. And the first is she was humble and poor in spirit. She was humble and poor in spirit. And the Beatitudes tell us, blessed are the poor in spirit. She was humble and poor in spirit, not self-sufficient. The Lord is with you, Gabriel said. That's why she's called highly favored. She's called highly favored because the Lord is with her. She was humble and poor in spirit. Secondly, she was reflective. And I, I like I like that. She was reflective, open to the word and the work of God. And that's why she's called blessed or blessed, which really sounds cool King James. Blessed or blessed. She was reflective, open to the word and the work of God. Mary also believed in the power of God because she knows I'm a virgin. This can't happen unless God does something. And the angel said, yes, the spirit of God will come upon you. And so she believed in the power of God. The fourth thing about Mary is she gave herself in profound submission to God. She gave herself in profound submission to God. And the fifth thing about Mary is uh, she has a heart to model for discipleship. If you're looking for a model for discipleship, I would submit to you, you probably can't find a better model than Mary, the mother of Jesus. She had a humble heart, a reflective heart, a believing heart, and a submissive heart. I, I think if we can grab those four things, we'll be in pretty good shape as far as discipleship is concerned. So I hope that's where we are. Now, next week, uh, two weeks, I'm sorry, two weeks from today, we're going to go to verse 39, and um, Mary is going to visit Elizabeth. And I love the story of, of how this... Now, understand, Mary didn't live next door. Uh, she's, um, she's a long way from Elizabeth. Elizabeth's down around the Holy City and Mary is off in Nazareth. And so this was a journey of 80 to 100 miles that she will take on foot. And she wants very much to see Elizabeth. And I'm sure that in her mind, she is thinking, okay, you will not believe what happened to me. <laughs> and Elizabeth's going to say, well, you won't believe what happened to me. And what can you imagine what a joyous meeting that must have been? And when the angel said to Zechariah, your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit, the first evidence of that is when Mary walks in the room where Elizabeth was, the baby leaps in the womb. We'll look at a little more detail on that next week. Um, we often think that the first person to confess Jesus Christ is Lord was Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. No, somebody else preceded him. So next time we'll find out who that was. I'm sure you've already got it narrowed down, Okay. So let's bow and we'll pick up there next time. Father, thank you. I pray that we will be humble servants of yours. That whatever you say to us, we will do. Even when we don't understand it, even when we can't figure it out, even when we don't know how we're going to do it or how it's going to happen, that we will trust you and be obedient. So bless each person here. 
we return to our responsibilities of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you two weeks from today.